Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Dr. Luke, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, writes this. But Peter, standing with the eleven, <clears throat> lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even all my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood." Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel know, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open your word to us. As we read, as it sits with us now, God, would you let it do surgery on our hearts? Would you let it transform us, who we are? Would you let us hear and behold and adore the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
that we may stand in it, that we may live according to it, that we may find our identity and our purpose in it, that we may see that we have been once and for all forgiven. God, if, if any of this is going to happen, it is going to have to be your work. None of us in this room are worthy to sit with the words of the creator of the universe in their hands. So would you open them to us? God, if there is anything that any of us think in this time that is contrary to your word, that is against who you are and your glory, <coughs> if there is anything that I say, if, if there's anything that I say or, or think that does come out, God, would you help us to all forget it? Would you let us see nothing but what you have for us this morning? God, in our, in our weakness, you are shown mighty, you are seen as strong, and so all of us, we sit and stand before you weak and sinful and utterly in need of your grace. And so by Jesus, according to the steadfast love that we have in him, would you give it to us? And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If an audience of people from all across the globe, numbering in the tens of thousands, stood before you with open ears what would you say maybe you pass out from fear and that's okay but when you came to and you stood there those faces are still just gazing upon you waiting to hear what you have to say what are you going to say men women children your friend fred your mom that guy you knew once from that one time with your brother and them what do you say what if I were to tell you that not only do you have to say something, but these people don't like you? And the message you have, they hate it. And what if I told you that just over a month and a half ago, you had a chance to speak before these people, and you cowered in fear and never said a word? What do you say? What we are about to read, what we just read, excuse me, <coughs> is exactly this. It is the very first recorded sermon in the era of the New Covenant. And Peter has before him a number of people, probably in the tens of thousands, if not more. And we are not even two months removed from Jesus being crucified in this very city by some of these people, potentially. And when asked about Jesus at first, he had the chance to speak up, but Peter denied him three times. Yet now, by the power of the Holy Spirit alone, Peter proclaims the gospel with power. We see exactly what he would say because we have exactly what he did say. So instead of trying to sermonize his sermon into another sermon, we're simply going to walk with, Pete, with Peter as he preaches. And along the way, we're going to pick up these truths about the gospel. In order to do this, we must remember where we are, the context of this whole book, the context of where we are. Uh, Dr. Luke, he's a physician, so we call him Dr. Luke. He's writing a second volume of the works of Jesus. The first being the Gospel of Matthew. Just kidding. <clears throat> Where he dealt, he dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach, and Dr. Luke capstones his first book with the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of this Jesus. And the book ends with these words in Luke 24, 45. Just listen. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then the Gospel of Luke ends. But where it ends, we pick right back up in the second volume of Luke, the book of Acts. And so far, we've seen the resurrected Jesus commission his disciples to go as witnesses, literally the word martyrs, 
of the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth because they were asking about the kingdom. They were like, hey, is this the time that you're going to restore it back to Israel? And Jesus very lovingly just corrects them. He says, no, look, this is for Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is for all of God's children that he has created. But it is a martyr call. It is a witness call. It is hard. Because it's a, diff- it's a difficult call because just 50 days earlier, Jesus was brutally crucified in this same city. The context is they're in a room. They're hiding. So Luke is recording the history of this new era of the church in order to pass this information on to a man named Theophilus. In order to help him have faith. He's showing him the history that has happened, but with a bent toward the gospel of Jesus. So as we read through the book of Acts, the question that we must ask is, does the, how does this help me to better understand the gospel of Jesus Christ? In the beginning of Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost and rests as divided tongues of fire on each of the 120 in the upper room, and they begin speaking in other tongues to people from every nation that were there, explaining to them the gospel. And then just look back up with me to verse 5. Acts 2, verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, all of us, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying saying to one another, what does this mean? Now just listen to the situation one more time. <clears throat> These men are here for a party. The day of Pentecost was uh, when all of the Jews would come together in this one city and they would offer the first fruits of their uh, harvest of the wheat crop. So they get to do this once a year. And they see old Fred from last year. And Fred, man, he's got some crazy stories. And maybe they're sitting there with Fred and they're surrounded by all these people from all across the globe and all of a sudden, they're just hanging out. They do this every year. But all of a sudden, a violent wind comes on one little house and pieces of fire are on their heads. And now they're coming to all the people speaking in their language, these people who have no formal training in any of these languages, and they're telling them about Jesus. So we can't miss the significance of amazed and perplexed. Yep, me too, man. And Fred too. What does this mean? What in the world is happening right now? Some some folks legitimately cannot make sense of what's happening. And so they say, well, they're just drunk on the new wine, which we get. It's like, yeah, maybe. I mean, look at what they're doing. What What is going on here? But the question still remains. They still ask the question, what does this mean? And with this question, we see the context for the rest of our verses. Because one man stands up to answer. He hears this question and he stands up to answer and he does so with the very first recorded sermon of the church era. What does this mean? For us, what do we learn about the gospel here? What does this mean? Specifically in these verses, we see two truths about the gospel. The first is we see that the gospel was prophecy fulfilled. And the second is that the gospel calls us to action. The first thing is that the gospel was prophecy fulfilled. And the second is that the gospel calls us to action. So let's take a look at the first one. If you look back to verse 14 with me. But, and we'll stop there, because... Since the word but is an adverse conjunction, we have to see what comes before the but, uh, but to see what the but is butting about so as to, oh, I don't even know what I was trying to say there, so as to make sense of what we were about to read, 
gosh, that felt very third grade. Um, so what has already happened, what has already happened in this history of the beginning of the church so far? So ever since the fall of man in Genesis 3, God has promised an offspring of Eve that would crush the serpent's head, that a Messiah Savior would come and crush sin finally and crush death forever. And over the 4,000 years or so from this promise, before Jesus did come, before the promised Messiah did come, God's people were looking forward to this. They wanted this day to come. And he came. The infinite king became like man in order to usher in this new kingdom of repentance and forgiveness of sins by trust and faith in Jesus Christ alone as God's eternal atonement for our sins. On Jesus, the wrath of sin was laid that believers might be righteous and that believers might be holy before God, which is the only way that anyone can be before God. And on the cross, bearing our sins on himself, Jesus gave up his life. So, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed him. He's butting here. He's standing in as a rebuttal of what has just happened. Because uh, they say, well, they're just drunk on the new wine. And then others are perplexed and amazed and like, well, what does this mean? So, Peter, standing with the eleven, and probably they pushed him forward, is like, you do it. But he lifted up his voice and addressed them. And it's the first recorded sermon in, in church history. And it comes, remember, from the Galilean who denied Jesus three times, probably before some of these very people, just 50 days ago. What's the difference? Why, why is he speaking up now? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit has now indwelt believers, he has the power to speak up. The man who denied ever knowing Christ now speaks up and says, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Essentially, listen to me. These people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. It's 9 a.m., guys. We are not drunk. This is simply what, has, what the prophets have said all along was going to happen. Look at verse 16. This is not this, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Under the old covenant, the Holy Spirit when it would indwell a believer for a time for a specific purpose and then he would leave. And it wasn't every believer. Some believers probably never got to experience what the Holy Spirit indwelling them felt like. But under this new covenant in Jesus' in blood, under this new covenant of grace, God freely gives himself to those who believe because they are immediately, upon belief, covered in the righteousness of Jesus by the covering of his blood and body. And so, God says, yes, you are no longer sinful. You have this righteousness that is needed for my presence. And so, yeah, I will give you my presence. Here is the Holy Spirit. And so by this Holy Spirit, we have no need for prophets who go between us and God. We have no need for God to come to one person necessarily in a vision or a dream because we have access to the Father by the Spirit. So Joel is showing that one day the Spirit will be poured out in all, all men, even female and, and uh, male servants, everyone, old, young, it doesn't matter. We will all have this power because we will have this outpouring of the Spirit. However, these realities of this going on, they're not the main point of Peter's sermon. This text is not a good help for, for us to, as to how to prophesy or how to dream a dream or how to see a vision because Luke leaves out any command as to how to do so. 
And he's not giving us any, any instruction as to do this at this time and for these purposes. He's simply describing what happened. Peter merely uses Joel to show the people that he is preaching to. This thousands upon thousands of people. He's using Joel to show them. Look guys, this is what God has promised so long ago. It has happened. Eternal salvation would one day come in the form of a Messiah and everyone who read their prophets, which would be all of this Jewish audience, they knew this. And so Peter is merely showing them. Like, you know what the prophets have said about this time that is coming. You know what the prophets have said about this gospel. The time is now. It's here. This Jesus has been resurrected. This, what you are witnessing right now, that looks a little crazy, that you called drunk, this is what Joel predicted would come with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But if these things are not the point of Peter's going back to the prophets, then what is? The point is what has ushered in this new age. The point is found in the greatest turning point in human history. It is found in the resurrection of Jesus. Our whole faith hinges on the fact that the grave is empty. And Peter stands before them and proclaims, it is empty. The gospel of salvation to all who would believe, to all who would simply call upon the name of Jesus in faith is something that has been prophesied about for thousands and thousands of years. And people forever up to this point have been longing for it to come. And in God's timing, it has come. But when Jesus died, people weren't sure anymore. Because this Messiah, this but everyone is talking about it. He's performing miracles and signs and wonders. He died. So I guess that can't be him. So by proclaiming the resurrection of this Christ, Peter shows them, no, this really is it. This really is what the, pro what the prophets have prophesied about forever. This is the greatest aspect of of this era. And look at just verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Joel was writing this in his context uh, as a call for his nation to repent, to turn back to the Lord. And he was more right than he probably even realized by characterizing this era to come with these words. They are saved by the Messiah to come. And then we in this era are saved by the Messiah who did come. So how does this happen? By faith. By faith. And it all hinges on the resurrection. If Jesus is not resurrected, we're all here in vain. But he was. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you. He was shown to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus whom you know delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This was always the plan to redeem and purchase back his people. This is what we saw in the garden when he says, an offspring of Eve will crush the serpent's head. This has always been the plan. You crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. Yes, the Messiah, the coming Savior of the world, he died. That happened. You saw it. You're witnesses to it. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not even possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. This is David writing in ways that he doesn't really fully understand Jesus' words. 
And now in this coming of the Holy Spirit, in this proclaiming of the gospel of forgiveness of sins, this becomes believer's reality. Jesus was not held by the power of death. Like it's, no, it's no more crazy than a woman cannot stay pregnant. You cannot hold the God of the universe down in death. God raised him from the dead. So the name, <clears throat> so the same God that promised that this Messiah would come and that he would usher in this kingdom of restoration and hope and peace, he has power over death. So much so that death couldn't have held him even if it tried to. It was impossible for Jesus to remain buried and dead because Jesus is eternal. And if Jesus is eternal, then so is our hope. The hope of the gospel. The hope of the good news ever being good for you and I to step into the bad news of our sin hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. But it happened. Verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence. Listen to this. This guy... This guy denied Jesus, no confidence at all. Denied him three times. Fell, uh, sank in the water because of a lack of confidence. I, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, I'm like, I know this. He died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. We can go visit it if you want. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he, Jesus, was not abandoned to Hades. Nor did his, Jesus' flesh, see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. There it is again. Here is the point. When you see things like this repeated, especially in a sermon that you read in the Bible, this is the point. This Jesus God raised up. Yes, he died. But he was raised up and of that we are all witnesses. All of us who are speaking, we know this. They actually saw it. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, this Jesus, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. All of this, what you think is madness. This is what has happened because of the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And then when he's up there, he sends the Holy Spirit as a helper. Verse 34, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So Peter, in his very first sermon, in the first public message that he has that is positive, before thousands and thousands of people, he stands up in the midst of these people who probably do not care for his message. He was hiding for his life 50 days ago. They actually just stepped out of the upper room to proclaim this now. He stands up and he proclaims Jesus. The man who was crucified in this very city not two months ago and he makes very bold claims to an audience of Jews. The bad news is that it was our utter sin that held him there on the cross. The bad news is that we are sinners. There is not a single one of us in this room that does not have a sinful heart. And in fact, even this morning, even as redeemed and purchased back, purchased back children of God, we still have a sinful nature. We will until glory. But the good news that Jesus willingly died in order to satisfy the punishment of those sins even the ones that we might be sitting in right now to satisfy the punishment of the sins for all who would believe we must believe this in order to live according to this purpose that God has called us to, to glorify his name, to proclaim this gospel to all the nations. We must know the gospel in order to be able to 
proclaim the gospel. And we do it to glorify that our Father in heaven, he deserves every bit of it. He deserves every bit of the praise of a life lived, full dedication to God. Verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Just listen to this one more time. Know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. God, according to this plan that has been there all along, according to his redemptive purpose, has made Jesus Lord and Christ, both King and Savior, both Master and Sacrificial Lamb. Our tendency here in the South, just as we probably all know, is to love the fact that Jesus has saved us. But we still want to live our own lives. Not, we don't love so much the fact that Jesus is our Lord and that we are to submit and to obey. But I think, I think it's because we get the order mixed up. We think that Jesus is, is calling us to this life that we have to live obedience to and about. And then God's going to take away all of our joy because I want to do all these things. And, but if we would see that God has saved us unto a life that is to be lived according to his glory. God has saved us before the works ever began. God has saved us when we were enemies of God. Then we work. And it's only by that order. It's only in, by this basis that we ever work. We don't work for this. And so we do submit to every command. Because our loving Father in heaven has placed them there for a reason. And we obey our Lord. Not in order to be saved, but because he has saved us. God has made him both. We cannot only bring Jesus around when it comes to saving. And so let it not be so with us. Because the good news of the gospel is, yes, we are saved finally and forever at the moment of trust and belief in the finished work of Christ on the cross alone for our salvation Yes and amen, but it does go beyond that part of our lives. If that is true, it has implications for the rest of our lives. It should. God saves us from his wrath. God saves us from the wrath of God unto a life dedicated to God. And so this is point two. The gospel calls us to action. Look at verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart because they know their sin. They know that the prophets have prophesied about this age to come of grace, but they know that they don't deserve it. So when they ask, what shall we do? They get it. They know surely that this, that this leads them to do something, right? Because surely we have to do something in order for this to be true of us. But they're wrong. They're wrong to think that they can work at saving themselves. So Peter just fills it out a little bit more for them. He explains to them what this gospel means. Peter said to them in verse 38, and Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, this promised Messiah, is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone, listen very closely to this. Notice who does the work to save the person. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. They stand and they say, what shall we do? 
We, we want this. We want to be saved. What shall we do? Peter says, God has already done it. Believe, repent, and be baptized. Show that this is true in your life. Show that you do believe. In verse 40, and with many other words, so we don't know what these are. Dr. Luke just did not record them for us. Uh, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. So he, he would tell them about Jesus and then explain a little bit more. He would tell them about Jesus and explain a little bit more. Saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. How? By faith. By trust in Jesus' work on the cross alone. Verse 41. So, those who received his word, they were baptized. And there were added that day to the kingdom about 3,000 souls. And so the Holy Spirit, with his power on the day of celebrating the, the harvest of, the bountiful harvest of wheat, turns it into a day of celebrating the bountiful harvest of souls. This message of hope, this gospel message, this good news for the forgiveness of sins, for eternal life, it led them to a new kind of life on earth. The gospel does call us to action, not to be saved. That's the good news part of it. The good news is that we have been saved, but now that we are saved, there is work to do. What is done? Look at verse 42. Their eternal lives affected their present lives in such a way as to look like this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Essentially, they went to church. And the fellowship, they hung out together. To the breaking of bread, they ate together. And prayers, they prayed together. And awe came upon every soul. They bewildered and amazed and perplexed at the good news of the gospel. Because how does it make sense? How does it make sense that a good and mighty God in heaven would have grace and mercy on anyone, any sinner? We are all enemies of God until he saves us, but why does he save us? So they are in awe of this Jesus. <clears throat> the awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So I want to be clear. This is not a church growth strategy. It's not a church strategy at all. This is not a call or a command or anything that we are in any way to replicate. It's simply what happened. If the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ has so uh, impacted your life that you do some of these things, that's amazing. But what's important is the heart behind all of these. It's one that has been given a new and better and higher purpose. It is one that has been made new by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel calls us to action. Why? Because by our actions we glorify our Father. And by our actions, we proclaim, by our words, we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Dr. Luke is writing about this first sermon from Peter to show Theophilus what has happened. He's showing like, look, these were these people. Now they're all living together and they're selling their possessions. Look at what has happened. But none of what is happening makes any sense until he views it in light of the gospel that changes hearts and lives forever. This is the point of the book of Acts. Theophilus, when he reads this, is supposed to think, well, hold up, how did that happen? I'm a little amazed and perplexed too. What's going on here? What does this mean? Ah, oh, it means the gospel has so transformed them. Look at what they are now doing because of the eternity that they have been gifted with in Jesus. 
the bad news for us is that it is our nature to do the very thing that God hates. And because of that nature, we have no chance to stand before God in heaven with a clean slate on our own. But God sent his son to die for our sins. That the sins that we love, we might be absolved from. And they might be put onto a sacrifice. That the wrath that we deserved might leave our heads forever and be placed on another. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we have this Jesus who does step into our bad news and offers freedom and eternal life in heaven in the presence of God. And he says, come to me. All who would believe. And if you are a believer, one day, when you do pass away, you too will be raised to newness of life in a new body, and there will be no more tears, there will be no more sadness, and you will dwell in the presence of God himself. What does that even look like? What will that be like? At the judgment seat, the Father will look at us, despite every sin that we have committed here on earth, and he will look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant, come on in. And the only way that that is true is by the true and better, good and faithful servant who took on our sins and gave us his place. And there in glory we will sit at the table probably next to Fred, and we'll dine on perfect food, drink perfect wine, and we will praise God forevermore for this Jesus who has saved us unto this life. And in the meantime, until glory, while we do still have this sinful nature, we must center our lives on this gospel. So that we might see everything in our lives in light of who God has made us in Christ that we might live for his glory and his glory alone that we might proclaim his gospel message to a dying people in order to remember this gospel well again this morning we will partake of the Lord's Supper together and as we do we see a visual representation of the gospel. We see the elements of the broken body in one hand and the shed blood in the other as a symbol of the Messiah who came to live and die on our behalf. And by this body and this blood, we see everything else. There is no other way Every other way of life leads to destruction, leads to despair. But by this, by the resurrected Jesus, we never lose hope. If you are a believer, you're welcome to the table to partake as family, as you have been adopted into the family of God, and we will partake together. But if you're an unbeliever, or if you are in any unrepentant sin, please remain in your seat in this time as it is only for those who profess Jesus as Lord by repentance and faith. If you're in unrepentant sin, believe in the gospel again. That you have forgiveness of your sins in Jesus. And know that it is not according to you. And return to your Father by faith yet again. Take this time to do so. If you're an unbeliever, the great and awesome and magnificent day of the Lord that is to come will be eternally damning and devastating for you. Because of your sins. 
And there are not enough good deeds that you can do, that you can accomplish to outweigh that. The only way is by believing in the work of Jesus to do what you cannot do for yourself. By faith and trust in your heavenly Father, there is only one way. But there is a way. Believe in the gospel. For all of us, here is our prayer. And all of this is to help us examine our hearts in this time. To best be prepared for the sacrament. The symbol of this gospel. Here is our prayer. Father, we admit that we need this body and this blood to cover our crooked sins. Would you, by your grace, allow this gospel to transform us yet again, that we may best glorify you for what you deserve. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your time to pray through what it is God has given you, to pray through what God has maybe cut to your heart by his word. And when you're ready, the elements are at the back of the room. Grab those and bring them back to your seats, and we'll take them all together here in a minute. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that invades the bad news of our sin is that eternal life in heaven in the presence of God himself is not only a possibility, but something that can be sure. Something that we can know for certain. How? How can we know? Because on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my perfect body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my perfect blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the immense amount of grace that you have shown us. That we, even though we were once completely nothing but your enemy, you sought us out. You have brought us unto your Son that we may have eternal life. And not only is that true, but this good news of the gospel still impacts and still gives us hope and still shows us our true identity in you. Your gospel encapsulates and, and encompasses so many facets and aspects of our lives and only a creator of us could do such a thing. And so we give praise and honor where praise and honor are absolutely due. Father, we lift up our praise to you and you alone for what you have done, for what you are doing now in the midst of us and in the midst of the nations that we prayed for and what you will do one day. When we are standing in your presence next to men and women who don't look like us, don't speak like us, don't have the same culture and yet we will have the same Father. God, would you show us the absolute depths of our sin so that this gospel might be even more deeply beautiful. so that we might always look to Jesus as our hope. We thank you for the fact that 
the resurrection is true and that God did by his power raise up Jesus from the dead we pray that you would remind us of the good news of the gospel that one day too we might be raised to newness of life in your presence fully and forever and all of the sins that are currently plaguing us all of the annoyances of living in this broken body all of the tears that we have cried you will wipe away every one of them we long for this day to come but until then God would you give us deep purpose to go across the street to the store downtown to the Kroger to the next state over to the next city over to across the globe would you help us to have the power of the Holy Spirit to go and witness and potentially be martyred so that more and more and more souls might be added to your kingdom. God, we place all of this in your hands. We do believe the gospel on some level, but on another level we don't. Because it is undeserved. We know our sin. We believe help Father, our unbelief. Help us to see Christ alone as our hope. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name.